Welcome to the July 18th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 14, verses 22 through 31, and the sermon is entitled, Never Alone, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to get your Bible, open it up with me. We're going to the Gospel of John, and we are going to be closing out chapter 14 today. So as you get your Bible out, we know God has a message for every single one of us. Uh, We are poised to take another step forward in this marathon study through the Gospel of John, closing chapter 14 today. I want to take you back in memory that you are reminded that chapters 13 and 14 capture one evening that Jesus spends with his disciples in a room. As he meets with these disciples in this room, some of the Gospels call it an upper room, he meets them privately in this room, and as he meets with his disciples, he shares with them the Passover meal on a Thursday evening, this meal from which he drew the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every time we celebrate together. The Lord's Supper came from this meal. But also, Jesus, the God of the universe, the Savior of the world, got down on his knees, and in that evening time with his disciples, his disciples, he washed their feet. The ultimate act of humility, the lowest of servants washed people's feet. feet. (laughs) And so as we think about that, the God of the universe on his knees washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus tells his disciples, you take this act of humility, my act toward you, and now you take this act to others, serve others, honor others, love others, and serve them with the love of Jesus Christ. He teaches us that today. He also, in this evening, dismisses Judas Iscariot as his betrayer. He goes out into the night. Not only does he walk out into a dark night, but he also walks out of that room with a dark heart. Satan himself coming into Judas Iscariot's life. So I want, as we think about this, these 11 men then are meeting with the Savior, and they're meeting on the Thursday night before the Friday of the cross. We are standing at the center point and the centerpiece of human history in this moment. The next 12 hours are going to be crucial hours in the history of the world. These men will witness the crucifixion of their master and their Lord and their Savior, Jesus. And they don't know it yet as they're in this room, but it's coming. They can feel the tension. They can feel the gravity of the situation. Something magnificent and monumental is going to happen soon, and they don't know exactly what it is, though Jesus himself knows very well that within the next 12 hours, their world would be turned upside down. Within the next 12 hours, they would experience grief as they had never experienced grief before. And yet, as Jesus knows his coming agony, and he knows the nails, and he knows the crown of thorns, and he knows the emotional breakdown that he will go through as he is punished for the sin of the world, as he knows it's coming, yet he can reach beyond his own pain and his own knowledge of what's going to happen to him and comfort them, bring comfort to his disciples. And we're reminded of those words he speaks to them. Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Peace, I leave with you. So over and over, Jesus, knowing his own agony is coming, is building up the comfort of his disciples. It's quite amazing when you think that Jesus is building them up, knowing what's coming for him. You know, I've seen that happen before. 
I've been with families over many years, many times, who have gathered around the hospital bed of someone who is facing a, a life-changing surgery. I saw that this past Friday with my sister. But I've seen it so many times that a family will gather around a bedside in a hospital waiting for the gurney to come to take off their loved one into a surgical suite, not knowing if they were going to make it through or not. It's life or death right then, right there. And as the family gathers around the bedside, tears are streaming down their faces, and they're wondering what is going to happen, and the family members are upset. But amazingly, the one in the bed, the one facing the surgery, will say, it's okay. We're going to get through this. God is going to bring me through. God is going to heal. God is going to bless. God is going to be in control of this situation. God is going to lead the surgeons. The one in the hospital bed facing the life or death surgery is the one who gives the comfort. I've seen it happen before, and that is exactly what Jesus is doing here on the divine level of giving his disciples comfort as they're facing the unknown but will be the old rugged cross and watching their Lord and their Master die. He's comforting them in this moment. So today, we're going to study Jesus relating to his disciples in this room. This is the last phase of being in the room with them as we conclude chapter 14. So go with me to verse 22, and we're going to read to the end of chapter 14, verse 31. Hear these words as Jesus concludes his meeting with his disciples in the room. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father, Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So Jesus is closing that meeting with his disciples in that room, and they will move on toward the Garden of Gethsemane. But as we open this passage, I want you to remember at this point that Judas Iscariot has left the group. He's gone out into the night, a dark night with a dark heart, but another disciple whose name is Judas also, not Iscariot, and John makes sure we know it's not Judas Iscariot that asks the question, but rather another disciple whose name is Judas speaks up. 
Now, Judas in Matthew chapter 10 is also named Labaius or Thaddeus. So he is the disciple with many names. He's also been identified as Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus. So Jesus and Jude, or Judas, shared the same mother. Judas had, uh, or Jude had a father whose name was Joseph. Jesus' father was the Holy Spirit. So they were half-brothers. Also in your New Testament is a book that Jude wrote by that very name. The half-brother of Jesus wrote the book of Jude. But while we don't know much about Jude or Judas, we do know this much. He came to Jesus later in life. If he were truly Jesus' brother, and I believe he was, then it tells us in the gospel that Jesus' brothers did not immediately come to him in faith. They did not believe him immediately as the Savior. But they did come. They did come. We know that Jude came. Uh, We know that his brothers came in faith to him. But though we don't know much about Jude or Judas, this we know. He was a man who loved the Savior, and he was a man who was surrendered to the will of God in his life. And here Judas, or Jude, asks a question. Look at verse 22, the first verse of the day. Judas saith unto him, again, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Well, here's the question, maybe rephrased that we could understand it a little better. Lord, why are you revealing yourself to us here in this room and you're not revealing yourself at this moment to the world? Why is it that you're taking us as a small group, revealing yourself to us but not to the entire world? Why are your words hidden kind of under the radar so that only we 11 hear what you're saying here? And Jesus tells Jude, and Judas, and he also tells the disciples why he is doing what he's doing with these 11 men. Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So Jesus tells his disciples, I am speaking right now to the men of the world who love me the most. If you have hung with me in this sermon series through the Gospel of John, you know that there were seekers who were following Jesus, looking for the truth. There were those who were following him as disciples. There were also those who followed him because they hated him and wanted the world rid of Jesus the Christ. So Jesus says, there are many in the world and many who don't believe and many who will not receive the word of God through me, but you do. You have heard the word of God and you are following me the closest. And because you're following me so closely, I have news for you. You, gentlemen, are going to take my place. The day is going to come when I'm physically not going to be here with you to walk you through ministry, but rather... I'm going to be with you, but you're going to be the ministers. The day is going to come when you will be my mouthpiece, and you will be my hands, and you will be my feet, and you will be my ministers of the gospel. So I'm telling you right now, because it's very soon coming when you're going to pick up where I leave off. It's soon coming when you will receive the baton of ministry from me, because I am going back to the Father. Look at verses 25 and 26. Of chapter 14 these things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you but the comforter 
parakletos is the Greek word, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus says, I'm teaching you in person tonight because tomorrow is going to change everything that you have known over the last three years. Your life tomorrow is going to be very, very different than it has been today and the three years prior. Something monumental is happening that's going to be a transference of ministry to you. When I am not physically here with you, Jesus says, you must know I'm still going to be with you. As I pass the baton of ministry to you, you're not going to be alone in that. But rather, I am going to be with you. I am going to be in your hearts. I'm going to be in your minds, and you're going to continue my ministry. As you walk through ministry, you'll remember my words. I've taught you for three years. And gentlemen, as you walk in ministry day by day, those words will come back to you over and over again because I've taught them to you. But I want you to understand that, that you're not going to be alone. I won't physically be walking by your side anymore. After the cross, after the empty tomb, after the ascension back to heaven to glory, I'm not going to be walking by your side anymore. But here's the good news. I won't be walking by your side, but I'll be living inside. You have been three feet from me most of the days that we've traveled together, but from now on... When I send the Holy Spirit, when I send the Comforter, when I send the Parakletos, I won't be walking three feet from you. I'm going to be living inside you. And so our relationship will be deeper and closer, and you will remember my words that I have taught you as you go in ministry. I'll be living in you, leading you from the heart. Now, I want you to think about this moment. Jesus knows something that the 11 disciples do not, cannot know at this moment. In the next 12 hours, they're going to face more gut-wrenching fear than they have ever faced in all of their lives. And on the eve of Jesus' agony, instead of thinking about himself, he says this, underline this verse, it is our verse for the day. This verse belongs to the disciples, it belongs to you and to me. Verse 27 John 14, 27, Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I call your attention to the fact that heart is singular. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 14, you'll remember that Jesus' first words to them is, Let not your heart be troubled. It's as if he's speaking to every one of them individually, teaching them man by man, heart by heart, each one in need. But he says, I'm going to be with each one of you individually. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. I will be with every single one of you because I'll be living inside of you. Men, when you watch the day of the cross unfold tomorrow, don't be afraid. Remember these words of comfort. My peace I'm giving unto you. I'm not leaving you. I want you to take peace. I want you to take shalom in that. I'm not leaving you. The cross is not going to separate us for eternity. I want you to understand that. And isn't it amazing, the night before the cross, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Knowing what they will see tomorrow, they need that peace, that comfort, that assurance. 
And isn't it also amazing? Do you remember the first thing Jesus said to them in the Gospel of John after his resurrection? Peace be unto you. John chapter 20, verse 19. So peace is his theme. Peace is the theme for the disciples. It's also our theme that we can live in peace, that we can live in comfort and in assurance that the Lord is with us. John 14, 27 is our verse for today. He speaks it to his disciples, but he speaks it to every single one of us. He's giving us his peace that we can live with and live by every single day. Friend, I want you to understand, when you know Jesus and I know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we are never, ever alone. We have the peace of the Lord God Almighty within us and upon us, we will never be alone. So on those average days of life, when you're traveling through your regular day and everything's kind of just a regular, normal kind of day from Walmart to mow the yard to wash the dishes, whatever it is, you're not alone. The Lord God Almighty is within you, upon you. He loves you. He's leading you on the normal day. In the moment that you have an opportunity to witness for him and the door cracks open that someone needs to hear about Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior, and his love for them, the Lord inside you will give you the word. So many people have often said to me over the years, I want to witness to somebody. I've got a friend. I've got a, a, a family member. I want to witness to them. I don't know what to say. And I say, start talking and the words will come. Because the Spirit of God living in you will give you the words. He will bring them, as Jesus says here, he will bring them to your remembrance. Don't be scared. Just start talking. It'll come. Kind of like Kyle right here. He starts talking. It just came. That's the truth. That's the promise. That's what we're seeing here. When you're in the doctor's office waiting for that report you've been worried about for a month, you're not alone. The Spirit of God is giving you peace. When you're in the hospital bed, He's by your side. I can tell you honestly, absolutely, I felt that peace when I was in a hospital bed. When you need wisdom as a parent or a grandparent or with someone in the family or a circle of friends, when you need wisdom to relate to them, you're not alone. He's going to give you what you need to relate to them with the love of Jesus Christ. When a relationship is falling apart, he's a healing God. He will help you in that. If you lean on him, you're not alone. When you celebrate the greatest joys of your life, he celebrates with you because you're not alone. He loves you. He loves to celebrate the, the, the high points. He wants to be with you in the low points. You're not alone. Because he's living in your heart. He's not walking three feet from your side. He's living inside and touches you deeply from there. Child of God, whatever the joy of the, the trial, smooth road or pothole, you'll not go through it alone. That's the promise. That promise of peace to the disciples the night before the cross and after the resurrection is just as much yours and mine today as it was 2,000 years ago. These words... 2,000 years old, but they could have been written this morning because that promise to the disciples is just as real to you and to me as it was to them then in that room. Praise God we have that promise. Now, John chapter 14, verses 28, 29, Jesus tells his disciples, even as you will see the cross, you can rejoice that this is my Father's chosen means by which I will go back to heaven to be with him. Remember, Jesus laid aside his robes of glory in heaven. Jesus has always existed. The beginning of the gospel of John tells us that when God Almighty breathed the words of creation from ex nihilo, meaning God created everything from nothing. He didn't start with somebody else's dirt. It was his dirt. When he brought everything from nothing, Jesus was there. 
There came a time in God's holy history and timeline that Jesus laid aside his robes of glory and his heavenly authority and he came to be born in a manger to walk the soil of this earth as a sinless lamb of God for 33 years as he went to the cross to take our sin there. But Jesus tells his disciples, now it's time for me to go back. It's time for me to go home. And the cross is God's chosen method, his segue to bring me home. I'm going to die for the sin of the world. But then I'm going to go home in glory. Through the cross, Jesus says, I'll finish my course, providing salvation and forgiveness for the world. But then I'll be restored to my heavenly authority and glory. Verse 29, Jesus simply says, I'm telling you this before it all happens, men. I want you, as you see the cross tomorrow, he's, he's getting them ready, and he says, He's thinking, as they see the cross tomorrow, I want them to think of these words, feel this comfort, have this assurance. I knew it was all going to happen, just like this, and have my comfort upon them. And he says, believe me, trust me, listen to me, follow me. My presence and my peace will be in you because I'm your Lord, your Master, your Savior. And then, in his final moments with his disciples in this private room of the Passover and the foot washing, Jesus says this. Look at the last two verses of John 14, 30 and 31. He says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So he's closing down the meeting in the room, but he says this to them in these last two verses that we read. He says, my talk and my time here is getting very short. Gentlemen, this is the longest conversation we will have now from this point forward. The talk is going to be small in this, these next coming hours because the prince of the world is coming. Who is that? Satan is coming. Old Satan himself. But I want you to look at what the Lord says at the end of verse 30. It's a very important phrase. Underline it. Keep it in your memory. Jesus says, Satan hath nothing in me. In other words, what Jesus is saying there is that Satan has no foothold and no traction in my life. I am the Son of God. He has no way to accuse me of sin because there is no sin. He has no way to drag me down from guilt because I have no guilt. He has nothing in me. He has no traction in me. He can't accuse me as a sinner. He cannot send me to the cross because he does not have that authority. Satan couldn't kill Jesus. He had far, far less power. He didn't even come close to having the power to kill the Son of God. But I will say this to you. I believe the moment that Jesus died, Satan may have swaggered back to his demons in hell and said, I killed him. I brought about the Son of God's death. Jesus died on the old rugged cross, and I accomplished his death. But Jesus makes it very plain, very clear here, I will never bow to Satan in death. Satan is not going to take my life. I will lay it down of my own will according to the commandment of the Father. But Satan will not take my life. He has no traction in me whatsoever. And Jesus says, I follow my Father's command even to the cross. But don't ever, 
don't ever give Satan one shred of credit for taking my life. He has nothing in me. He cannot take my life. Now, I want you to listen to me, believer. I want you to listen to me, child of God. This is very, very important. If Jesus the Christ lives in your heart and my heart as the Holy Spirit, this promise is true for us. Satan has no right and Satan has no authority to touch you or me because the Holy Spirit of God Almighty lives in us. Satan has nothing in you. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Satan cannot take your life. You belong to the holy God, and we know through Jesus Christ, he gave his life that we might live eternally. Now, here's a caveat to that. We have to guard the doorways of our heart. We have to guard the entryways into our life for even believers, but largely for the unsaved world. People who open the door to the activity of Satan in their life can indeed allow him in. Believers, you have to guard the doorways of your heart and allow Jesus to have the throne room of your heart and not allow Satan into that room. It is our desire that we stay faithful and true to the one who gave his life for us. So today, can we come together and commit our lives to following the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us, living in our hearts. Can we pray together, Lord God, by your strength and your wisdom and your leading, can you lead me to watch those doorways of my heart? And I will say this to you too, this gathering of the holy body of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan has no authority here. And we need to guard the doorways and the entryways of our church against the activity of Satan. Oh, Satan can get loose in churches, believe me. And he loves to tear them up, and he loves to, uh, to dissect them from the inside. But we need to pray together, Lord God, make holy every entryway into my heart. Make holy every entryway into my church that we serve you as a holy people. And that we live for you and you alone. Will you make that promise to him today? Will you make that commitment to him today? That we together will bind together with the Holy Spirit living in us that we will say, Lord God, we want you to make our hearts holy. We want you to make our church holy. We want you to make our ministry purer and purer and our love for Jesus going out into the world to stand for him as a witness that will not back down. Satan has no authority for us. And there's no reason to be fearful or to be uh, worried about compromise, but rather walk into the world to serve and live for Jesus Christ and Him alone. The thresholds of our heart need to remain pure and clean. Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness. Help us stand for you through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Keep our church pure, clean, and moving forward under your direction. I pray we will make that commitment for ourselves and for our church today. But also, believer, maybe somewhere or other there's someone here or someone by streaming and you've allowed Satan some type of leeway into your life. I remember something that David Jeremiah said many years ago in a sermon I was listening to on the radio. He said, consider your life to be a 100-acre field. He said, believer, let's just say your life is 100 acres and you give Satan one acre. He said, the problem with that is when he has one acre, he gets the acre in the middle, so he has to walk across all the other acres to get there. Deny him the acre, believer. If you've given him an acre, 
take it away today. Ask for cleansing. Ask for renewal. Ask for blessing to give Jesus your all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. That's our commitment today. Amen? We give our church to him. Today, if you are here and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, that automatically means his spirit is not in your heart. That automatically means that Satan has you within his sights and you're a target because you have no protection, you have no shield of the Holy Spirit living in you. But that can change in one minute, this next minute, if you say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me because I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I need your spirit to live in me. I need to turn my life and surrender to you. I need to give everything I have to you. So, Lord, today, because you died on the cross for me to take my sin away, and because you walked from an empty grave in life of resurrection to give me eternal life, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I open the door of my heart and say, Lord, take the throne room. It belongs to you. I want you to live in me, and I want to live for you. And one day when the time is right, you take me home to that home you've prepared for me in heaven. I want you as my Savior. Today, if that's your need and that's your plea, if you're streaming, you can do it in your car, in your front room. If you're here, come to this altar and say, I want to give Jesus my heart. It's life and eternity changing. This is a, a powerful moment of rededication and decision. Let's give it to the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God. Thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you for this passage of Scripture where Jesus is building up his disciples to face the future. Lord, we don't know our future either. Those disciples didn't know the cross was coming. Two months ago, my sister had no idea that a transplant was coming. We don't know what tomorrow might bring. We don't know what this afternoon might bring. But Lord, we need to turn it all over to you and say, Lord, by your living in our hearts, living in my heart, you will give me peace and protection and guidance by your authority alone. I want to belong to you, Lord. I want to give you all of my life. Maybe there's someone here today who simply needs to rededicate his or her life because an acre has belonged to Satan over the years. And they need to give the whole plot of land to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Bless that one who comes to say, I want to come home and give the Lord all I have. If there are Christians here today who say, Lord, help me guard the thresholds of my heart by your strength, that all of my life belongs to you. Help us to rededicate our lives to that, Father, as believers, sons and daughters. If there's one who needs Jesus as Savior, church home, whatever it is, bless us in these moments that we see miracles happen, especially that life that has been separated from you, coming home, receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're taking up residence in that heart. Bless us in these precious, important moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.